Hey everybody, and welcome to Sermons from Centerpoint. My name is Pastor Chris Lorette, and I'm glad that you'll be joining us today. This week, you will hear from our guest pastor, Pastor Kelly Conkleton of Hope Arise United Methodist Church. He'll be filling in in my stead. Unfortunately, my wife and I were potentially exposed to COVID, so we decided to, out of an abundance of caution, call in for a friend to come help guest preach this Sunday. With that said, Pastor Kelly is going to be preaching on two different texts, Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 7 and Matthew chapter 21 verses 33 through 46. So without further ado, why don't we listen in to what Kelly has to say on these scriptures. All right. Um, let's move into our time of scripture reading. Mac. Okay. This is from Isaiah, the fifth chapter, verses one through seven. And as you drive by my neighborhood, you'll get a feel for this. Uh, how many of you have seen the Lost Puro Vineyards right up on uh, Stone on, on Redbird Loop by my place? Uh, yeah, we've all, we've worked them. Yeah, so uh, helped them pick. It's beautiful, and you a huge amount of work went into that. Uh, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah. And his pleasant planting, he expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. Thanks be to God. Shall we stand for the gospel? Different things. Matthew, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves more than the first, 
and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone and the, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they, rele- they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The word of God for the people of God. Yo, I got to drink some water. <laughs> oh, I got some. Thank you. Um, so I, uh, I was joking when I came in today uh, that um, I was so glad that I got easy scriptures today. Uh, <laughs> you know, death and dying and destruction and stones and breaking. Um, I, I uh, jokingly said to Chris, I was like, man, that's a good week to take a break. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> um, now, uh, there's a lot in these. Uh, obviously, we're not going to get to all of it today. Um, but I think it's important, at least for me, to set some type of context for y'all and an expectation as we're, we're talking about these. So, Jesus, here in Matthew, what he's doing, and uh, the verses that, that Mac uh, blessed us with, Jesus is echoing a lament from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah compares God's people to a vineyard whose owner did everything possible to ensure its fruitfulness, but it only yielded wild grapes. Jesus then reshapes the parable. He states that not only did the tenants that were placed in charge of the vineyard refuse to turn over its produce and maltreat the messengers sent by the owner to collect it, The climax of their malice and mismanagement is when they murder the owner's son. When the owner shows up, they receive just retribution. Point of the parable. Israel's current leaders of this time that Jesus is speaking to, um, they oppose Jesus and they are acting just like those people before, their forebears. God will vindicate Jesus. Now, we know now, because we're on this side of history, right, that we know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen to Jesus. We know that he's going to raise again, and he's going to ultimately win. But just for today, like, look at it from that perspective of in this time period where that hasn't happened yet. Uh, There will be punishment for the corrupt leaders in Israel, uh, and there will uh, be a reconstruction of those people, of the people as those who bear appropriate fruit. So, 
when the garden was planted, it was, the tools were given, the resources were given, the expectation was set, and they were equipped and prepared to do the work. They just didn't do it. <laughs> um, so those who will actually do the work will then be appointed to work in the garden. Now, why is this important to us? Well, I don't know about y'all. I was talking to Mac earlier. It looks like that you've worked in a little bit of a vineyard. Uh, y'all, I've never worked in a vineyard. I don't know. I don't even like wine. Uh, <laughs> my palate doesn't do well with it. But um, I've never done that type of work. Um, so I don't really understand that on a personal level. But I think we all can at least relate, right, as Christians, that the work that our lives are now called to is the work of the gospel. God has called us to sow the seeds of the gospel. He's called us to administer the gospel, to share the gospel, to live out the gospel, right? Our inheritance is one of when Jesus died and rose again, we were given the full reward of that in our person, right? So now, the expectation, if you will, has been put upon us to go do that. Now, um, for today, I'm so sorry, I'm having issues with this mic. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge prophets. Now, depending on what time period you look at, or depending on your understanding of what a prophet is, um, I've got some bad news. Uh, if you consider yourself a prophet, you're probably going to die. <laughs> uh, they have a very low survival rate. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they're always killed by their own people, which is fascinating. Um, but I do, I, I think another word that you could use for a prophet, at least in this context, is a truth teller. My strong encouragement to you with these stories and with these verses is that if you have a person in your life that is a truth teller, value them. Don't kill them, <laughs> okay? Uh, don't hurt them. Don't destroy them. Don't do bad things to them. Um, don't gossip them. Don't slander them. Don't cause problems for them. Don't judge them too harshly. I think a way that you could measure those types of relationships as well is if a person has a prophetic voice in your life. This is very important because there's a big difference between somebody who just yells truth at you. Uh, think of it this way, right? Scriptures are like a sword. They come running at you with a sword and all they're doing is hitting you with it. That's not really prophetic. That's just a know-it-all. And nobody likes know-it-alls, right? But someone that loves us or loves you and loves God. That's a really important criteria when we consider prophetic voices in our life. Do they care about you? Do they love you? Do they know you? Are they interested in you? Do they want to see you succeed? Um, that's a prophet. That's a prophetic voice in your life. The opposite would be the person who manipulates you, the person who does harm to you, the person doesn't treat you well, and then tells you you're wrong. That's not prophetic. That's harmful. A truth teller is not someone who comes in and destroys and does harm, but in love and grace helps to correct. Another way that you could understand this, the church, the body of Christ, the faith, community, and family that you have here is at its best when we can share truth and love with one another. This is important. Even though these relationships can be uncomfortable at times, they are so incredibly valuable. 
If you do not have relationships in this community or in your community that creates a safe space for truth-telling, get them. We need them. They're so important. And I would add a caveat to this. A truth-teller that I would want in my life is somebody who just is a yes man. (laughs) I want somebody to tell me, no, pastor, you're great. No, everything you do is awesome. Uh, you've never messed up in your life. And I'm like, I know, I'm awesome. Like, like, I want that type of, but that's not necessarily always what I need. I need someone who can come into my life and speak truth to me in a way that doesn't destroy me, but in a way that brings healing and restoration. The prophet's main goal always was to restore the people of Israel to a full functioning relationship with God. It always came from a place of healing and restoration. It was never to belittle or to destroy. Now, y'all talk about this community here, and this is my second time here, but everything I've heard about y'all is fantastic. So it it comes across to me as I've talked to Chris and as I've even talked to you today, uh, you know, housewarming parties. Like, this community does a really good job of loving each other, okay? But we need truth-tellers. You need people in your life who are willing to do that. Secondly, we are accountable for the wonderful truth that has been shared with us. God's call on your life might look different than a Pharisee or a religious leader in Jesus' day, but we are accountable to what we do with it all the same. So like I said before, thanks Chris, I'm glad you're watching. (laughs) Um, The gospel that you have gotten, the good news that you've gotten, the life transformative nature of the Holy Spirit at work in you and in your life, you are accountable to share it. Now, this part of Matthew and Isaiah do a much uh, darker depiction of the consequences of withholding that information and not sharing it and not working the garden that God has put us into. And yes, to that point as well, I don't think anybody in here is a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Uh, (laughs) You're not in charge spiritually that way. But I would submit that some of you are parents or siblings or you work somewhere. So you do have a spiritual authority and a place of influence that God has made you a caretaker of. Um, And I don't know about y'all, but it's a lot easier for me to tell truth to people that I've known for a very long time than the person who comes up to me in work or something to that effect and asks me for advice. And I go, oh no. <laughs> We're in a corporate work environment. We can't do that. <laughs> like, I'm not allowed, right? Um, and I could tell you from personal experience, there have been times where those conversations do not go well. Um, where somebody has asked me for advice or insight onto something and what I gave them was not what they wanted to hear and there was a rupture in that relationship. There have been times where it's done what God has used me to do or to help with has done uh, really good things and has helped, right? Um, But I want to make this clear distinction. Like I was saying before, it's not about doing harm. We are not vindicated or affirmed in truth-telling by offending or harming people, right? That's hard because we live in a world, right, where y'all have heard this term before, right? Politically correct. Or we don't want to say things and we don't want to hurt people's feelings. Um, 
But I also want to help you understand that um, nobody learns from somebody that they don't think loves them. That's hard. Especially when you live in a world where you look around and you're like, oh no, what's it today? Uh, I made the joke about uh, apocalypse bingo the other day because apparently now there's brain-eating amoebas in the water in Houston. And I was like, did anybody have that on their bingo card? Because it was killer bees last month. And then before that, it was something else. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one thing after another right now. Um, and so sometimes we want to we share truth because we think it'll be beneficial and helpful. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. But if you are going to act on God's behalf to speak truth and love to bring restoration into someone's life, understand that responsibility that comes with it. People throughout the entirety of Scripture would do this because they loved God and they knew it's what he called them to do and they would die for it. We live in America, so we're not like persecuted in the way the early church was, right? And you might get a little bit of flack here and there because of your religious belief, right? Or your love for the Lord, absolutely. Um, And I'm not trying to belittle that, but consider that... uh, when you go and you speak on the Lord's behalf. All right, you ready for the third hard part? (laughs) Y'all, we don't have forever. Um, the, The owner of the garden is coming back. There's work to do. This is not meant to scare anyone. Um, y'all are all seasoned and you get it. If I did this with my youth group, they'd all be like, oh no, (laughs) they'd be trying to hide somewhere. Um, but the truth of this scripture is that time is limited, limited and there is work to do that will be assessed. It will be judged. We will be held accountable for it. Let's get to work. It's a lot to do. And for those of you who run the race longer than me, thank you so much for pioneering before me and laying a good foundation that me and my family could uphold and cling to. I'm grateful for that. This isn't the young kid coming in here and going, two more! <laughs> I, I, I mean that with, um, with humility and thankfulness. Um, but y'all, we're not done. We got more to do. Now, in a more lighthearted way, uh, I have a story I want to share with y'all um, that I think encapsulates this a bit um, what helped me kind of understand as I was reasoning through the scriptures on a personal level. So um, I, uh, I teach chapel at a private Christian school in, in San Antonio. Um, and I have, um, at this time when I was teaching chapel there, I didn't just have the high school kids. I had uh, fifth through uh, like eighth grade, right? Or I'm sorry, sixth through eighth. And so if you can imagine, um, I wouldn't have the same conversations with sixth and eighth grade kids as I would with seniors in high school. And so one day I come into class and the middle school kids are all like, do us like you do the older kids. And I'm like, y'all ain't ready. You don't want that. (laughs) And they're like, do us like you do the older kids. And I'm like, no. And then I thought of that verse, right, where Jesus tells people that if you knock and you knock and you knock, then God will just be like, fine. And I was like, well, fine. Everybody sit down. (laughs) So everybody in the classroom sits down And they're like, okay, what are we going to talk about? And I was like, we're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. And they went, what? And I said, yeah, so sit down. 
So I said, who here knows the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? And some of them did, which I was really proud of them. I was like, yeah, you're reading your Bibles. That's awesome. And we talked about it, and we talked a little bit about it. And so I said, awesome. I said, what I want you to do is I want you to stand up. So they all stood up. And I said, how much does God love you? And they said, great answers, right? Jesus loves me. He, he came to get me even though I was a sinner, and he saved me by his grace, and I have a personal relationship with him now, and it's awesome, and it's wonderful. And I said, yes. I was like, how much? And they're like, more than anything. And I said, yes, absolutely. I said, now, everybody get up. Let's go to the windows. And this school is on, like, this fantastic location. Like, it's beautiful outside. There's, there's hills, and there's trees, and there's deer, and there's snow white singing to animals. I mean, it's just awesome, right? And I go, okay, look outside. I said, how much does God love all of that creation? They're like, just as much as he loves me. And I go, yes, because you're a part of it. And he loves all of it. I said, okay, go back to your chairs. I said, don't sit down. Now, I want you to look around the room. And I said, how much does God love everybody in here? And they're like, just as much as he loves me. And I said, yes. And I said, okay, can everybody sit down for a sec? And we're all laughing and goofing off, and it's a great moment, right? And y'all should be grateful that you've never been in a chapel class with me because I'm very loud, and I move my hands, and I do stuff, right? And so they're all kind of like, okay, that's awesome. That's great. We thought it was going to be worse. And I slam my hands on a desk. And they all lock eyes with me. And I said, just because you're saved and God is working on you, as you work through things that you struggle with, does not give you permission to burn the house down the other kids are in. And they all went, oh. And what I explained to them was not that they needed to go to God in shame when they screwed it up, but the responsibility they had as Christians that had been set free by the blood of the Lamb and the grace and the mercy they had been shown and that Yes, they were going to struggle, and yes, they weren't going to be perfect, but they needed to understand how important how they lived their lives was and the effect it could have on people. I don't know about y'all, and I can't speak for you, but there are times, believe it or not, but you're a pastor. Yeah, I'm also super judgy, uh, <laughs> where I struggle with people, and I want to be mean and I want to be vindictive, and I want to pull somebody aside, and I want to go, listen, <laughs> there's a cliff. Don't go that way. And I want to control them, and I want to shake them. I want to go, listen, that's the worst thing you could do, and that's terrible, that's horrible, and that was an evil thing, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But that's not helpful. In fact, I would do harm. Those kids that day asked some really great questions on the follow-up and they said what do we do and i said do your best love god with everything that you are and everything that you have and do your best you have today you have this moment treat each other well find opportunities to go be <laughs> the love and the light of christ to others and by the way um i'm 34 so when i say i feel like i'm old y'all are gonna all chuckle because you're like you just started uh um, <laughs> Which is fair, uh, but when I talk to these students and I joke about like running this race and I joke about working in the garden and I joke about how much time I have left, right? They're all like, I'm 16, I'm invincible. <laughs> I'm like, I remember that. And then my knee started to hurt. Um, God loves us so much. 
And he's given us this incredible work to do that is for our joy and it is for our benefit. We can't waste it. We can't waste it and we can't spend our time killing prophets. We can't. My strong encouragement, my strong encouragement is this. Press into the grace of God in a way that you would take advantage of opportunities to speak love and life and truth into people's lives no matter what cost you had to pay to earn that. That's tough for me because I'm busy and I have a four-year-old and my wife's in school and I have meetings and I have things to plan and I have a four-year-old and <laughs> like, you know, I have these things to do. Um, you are prepared, you are equipped, you are called to be a prophetic voice to a world that is dying and needs the good news.